If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes 3. Um, I will not be so interested as Andrew. Um, you know, in, in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, they introduced this theme, basically, of the entire book. And it can seem sort of morose. It's not, but it can seem that way. It basically says that death puts a, a, an end to our headlong pursuit of greatness. And it teaches us that we're just one generation that's come after the one before us and before the one after us. And life, as the Apostle James would say, is just a mist or a vapor. It comes sort of at a time we don't remember it. Nobody remembers being born. And it leaves at a time where we're hard-pressed to think of it. Chapter 2 then hits us right in the face and tells us that the pursuits of pleasure and accomplishments in and of themselves slip through our fingers with very little lasting satisfaction. And we kind of come to this conclusion that life stinks under the sun without God. Now chapter 3 will begin to bring into focus both the big picture, meaning the whole of life itself, and a lot of its individual parts, meaning the seasons of life. And what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is begging us to do is to embrace our frailty. This chapter pushes us to, to do that, to think about time, and our time in particular. And one of the critical ways to embrace our frailty is not just to think about time as a philosophical concept, but to think about your time. The Bible tells us that, in, in I think it's Psalm 92, that, uh, we should, uh, that we should ask the Lord to, to, to teach us to number our days that we might obtain a heart of wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is bringing that right in our face. And I'll come back to it, not so directly, but I will come back to it. But I think before we even read the passage, there are four critical things to, to remember. Number one, there's a God. Number two, we are not him. Number three, we are enclosed in the boundaries of time. And number four, God is not. Now, why do I say that? Because a lot of times, if you just think about how limited we are, we will fall naturally into despair. And you've got to remember, there's a God who stands outside of this mess. Many people love the poetry of Ecclesiastes 3, but they miss the punch. And I've been praying that under the power of the Holy Spirit, I might deliver to you both some of the poetry and some of the punch. It does give us the beautiful complexity of life. It shows us that life is full of sometimes sweet and sometimes very painful extremes. There's an ebb and flow and a waxing and a waning to things. And it tells us that life is full of beauty and wonder, but it's also full of pain and horror. And we're urged to face it. And to face it alone means we might wind up at the question, why go on? But to face it with God says, I've got a reason to press on. If I texted you yesterday, it's likely you got a link to a 60s band singing this song, The Birds. And years ago, this song would come on the radio and I would just sing it. And now, I, I still will, but I think they missed it. They sing it as a bit of whimsy. It's, 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 it's got a wistful tone to it. I'm here to tell you that 
Ecclesiastes 3 is a punch straight in the nose. Front teeth included. Maybe jawline too. It's not meant to be so cheerful and sentimental. It's meant to jar us and make us stand before a holy God and say, how am I living? This is a bloody business, and it does have some sweet, but it's also full of much, much sweat. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, beginning at verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a corona time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Father, we humbly ask you to help us to be circumspect tonight, to take a look around, take a look within, take a look up, and to see, are we attempting to live life under the sun in the meaningless monotony of breathing without you? Or do we invite you into our moments, into our priorities, into our calendars? And do we let you walk around with us? Are we, Father, like that prodigal son who wants the father's goodies without the father? Or are we like the wise dog who waits patiently just for the master to open the door? Do we long for you? Help us, God, to see ourselves, to see you, to be reconciled, and to walk with you in a closer way. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. <laughs> without shame, without shame, the two points I have tonight come from Dr. Danny Aiken, from his commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes, and um, they're right there in your bulletin, we'll fill in the blanks. I have some thoughts in between, if they're not smart, blame those on me, blame the smart parts on him. Big point number one, big idea number one. If this cursed world is all there is, then time is meaningless. If this cursed world is all that there is, then time is meaningless. Let's be sadly clear, and it is sad. So far, Solomon's view of things is sort of like this. 
we do things that don't matter, and then we die. That's basically what he said. But there's a qualifier. We do things that don't matter, and then we die if we do those things without God and die without God. There's a qualifier. Don't forget Solomon's purpose in this whole book. Don't forget how much he has done and how much all that he has done has left him empty. Don't forget, don't forget that he's come to a conclusion through very painful experience that life without God is meaningless, activity without God is meaningless, accomplishment without God is meaningless, pleasure without God is meaningless. And we're tempted, we're tempted, folks, to look at this list found here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verses 2 through 8. We're tempted to say, well, there's the list. There's my checklist of how to go do life. That's not what this means. Or we're tempted to say, well, there's the parts that life are made of. Isn't that precious? And fall into some sort of unfruitful sentimentality. There's a deeper truth here. I hate to admit this, um, but I feel like I should just to show you all how dumb I am. I was, uh, I, I minored in, 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 in English, right? That, that should make me understand a lot more things than I do, but I was reading a commentary, and they said, the guy says there's 14 merisms here. I was like, I don't, does, I mean, is that like 14 Americanisms? I mean, what does that word mean? I had to break out my dictionary, just like any good student would, and I, I looked up merisms, and I said, whoa, whoa, that's a brilliant word. How come I didn't know it? It's a poetic expression, a linguistic expression in which the combination of two contrasting parts expresses the whole. I was like, I know that word. I know what that means, but I didn't know there was a word for it. In other words, let's say somebody kind of, kind of more poetic in their language walks in and they say, hey, Carson, I looked high and low for it, but I cannot find it. They're saying, I looked everywhere. I looked at the lowest spot and the high spot and, and every place in between. Whereas someone like me come in, I say, Carson, I looked everywhere. When you read Ecclesiastes, what you see here is, 14 merisms, life and death, peace and war, sowing and reaping, laughing and crying, mourning and dancing. And rather than picking all those apart, which I'm tempted to do, I don't have anywhere to be till 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm tempted to pick them apart. I would rather you see them in their whole, in their purpose. They're showing us the scope of life under the sun. It's showing us that this, these are the extremes that we live in and everything in between. Just think of some of these, if you would. Try to imagine a few of these. Like today is Carson's birthday. And he's 22. I almost remember being 22. I was at an Eagles concert. The Hell Freezes Over tour on my 22nd birthday. I do remember being 22, some part of that day. But do you know what? According to Ecclesiastes, that what you have is you do have a birthday, but guess what you also have? A death day. Who thinks about that? So, some people, some people will even celebrate a birth month. I, I've seen people. I've seen people post things on social media like, two months until my birth month. And I, it takes all of my emotional fortitude to not type, who cares? Because I'm sensitive. But who goes, can't wait for my death date? 
Woot. But what Solomon is saying in no uncertain terms is there is an appointed time for a person to be born, but guess what? There's an appointed time for a person to die. And what do you have in between? Many cycles around the sun. The real question is, what are you doing with it, right? What are you doing? And go all through this list, and that's what you get. You get high high and low and everything in between. What are we doing with this life? These merorisms, they show us the full range of impermanent mortal life, and they, they should, they should at once sober us. They should sober us. We understand the highs and the lows. But do we often ponder what it's like to have the highs and lows with and without God? If you grew up on a farm, and I I mean a working farm, a farm where you actually depended on the farm for your livelihood, you definitely can see these merisms. You stand in February with a roll of plastic under your arm, laying down a plant bed that you cover up, that you expect to uncover in just a couple months and find these very healthy plants. And you expect to plant them in the ground and you expect in the fall to, to, to reap the entirety of your crop and to take it to market and to get that cash money from February till, till the end of, middle to end of October. You live literally in debt. You borrow the money to buy the stuff to pay the workers. You bring it in and you want the cash and all along the scope the scope of planting and until you get to the place of plucking, you, 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 you know, you fight this battle against bugs and weather and plant disease and, and, and circumstances. And if you've ever grown up on a farm, you, you can see the whole scope of what Solomon's trying to describe. And it's sometimes it's very happy. Now, I know there's some young kids in the room. I'll leave this for you adults to understand it. I mean, I think about how happy harvesting was in our family. You know, uh, we would finish in October. You would wrap things up in November. Thanksgiving and Christmas would come. Hunting season was always a fun time. Now, you, 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 you adults and you mature young adults, think about what I'm saying. I'll tell you how good celebration was in our farming family. Three of my four brothers are born in July and August. Do the math. It's time of celebration. But I also remember one year where we had a whole bunch of locusts and it didn't rain much. And I'll never forget my dad saying that they had to make, they had to make double payment the next year because they were going to live in debt for two crops. Won't no children born in 1981. Celebration was stolen by circumstance. This makes you a little sad, doesn't it? You know why? Because you start to see how this manifests in your life. We all know the celebration of having a child and some people know the sorrow of losing a child and if you were to ask most anyone, they would say, who's lost a child, they would say, you're supposed to go before your children. It breaks the rhythm and makes it a worse sort of sad. I don't want to get caught up in all of this. I've cautioned you that I would and I've promised that I wouldn't, but I do want to picture it. Let me make a couple of points before I move on inside of this number one i want you guys to see that this is not a prescription uh for what each of us should do it's not a list 
But these are the components of the reality we face. I don't want anyone to think that this is a list of what they got to do to live a fulfilled life. I don't want someone to leave here and go, well, you know, I noticed some things on that list I haven't done. I think I need to go kill someone. No. No, that's not what this is all about. Or you saw that tear thing, and you got something that your kids have been doing that's aggravating. You say, well, I'm going to go home and tear that up because there's a time to tear things. Or you saw that whole castaway thing, and you've been looking at all the annoying hair care products in your bathroom, and you want to go home and just grab the trash can and swipe them off the sink into the trash can. I'll tell you, man, if you do that, your wife will discover her time to kill. This is not about a list. This is about appreciating the monotony and the meaningless and the futility of life if all life is is this life. If all it is is this, it's just a mess. A monotonous, repetitive pile of garbage. So don't think it's a list. Secondly, secondly, do see the zero. What do I mean by that? If we have 14 merisms, what you have here is 14 pluses and 14 minuses. And I, I'm going to test y'all. I know a lot of y'all went to the same schools I did here in good old Person County. But negative 14 plus 14 equals? Carson, I'm going to cut you. Carson said 28. <laughs> <laughs> Why I order? Let's try it again. Carson, Carson, you just bought a house. You better figure this out, son. <laughs> Negative 14 plus 14 equals, but see, in a, in a culture that lives off the credit card, when we get to zero, we just go put ourselves in debt trying for more. Now, you extrapolate that idea into how we chase so much wind. So much wind. And life becomes sort of like a non-amusement park. It's non-amusement. And instead of having, you know, the fun of a, of a merry-go-round, we, we have a sad-go-round. And it's just the same old, same old, same old, same old, and more of the same old. If this cursed world is all there is, then the time we have and time itself is meaningless. None of it means anything if God is not in it. So secondly, secondly, and more importantly, your frustrations should drive you to trust Christ. I love where the writer of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon goes. And we, you know, if you want evidence that this is not some bit of whimsy, that this is not supposed to be sentimental, just look at verse 9. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I mean, guys, look at the scripture, look at the context. This is not where you're supposed to just come out with a song. To everything, turn, turn, turn. To every season, turn, turn. No, this is more like, you know, this is more like an anthrax song. This is more like a suicidal tendency song. To everything, turn. I mean, you know, it's, it's full of unmitigated frustration. It is. Because, so, so. What do you get from all this going back and forth and around and around? Like Andrew said before he sang that very strange song that I love. I love. It's a strange song, though. 
It's like he said. You realize you get what you thought you wanted, and it's not at all what's helpful. So what do you do with these frustrations? Ecclesiastes 3.10 is basically a restatement of Ecclesiastes 1.13. And what Solomon is saying here is I've looked at the entirety of the inventory for the playpen, and it's just not all that fun without God. You know, I was thinking after the 4 o'clock service, I was thinking about how I've seen it many times. I mean, many, many times. Young parents with young children, and the parent has a phone. And I've seen little kids getting in front of their phone, touching their parents' face, putting their, putting their hand over their parents' phone. And I've seen some parents get truly agitated by that. I really have. And, and, I, and I, think, I, I, I think to myself, this kid is right now at the prime of crying to experience you. And by the time you want to fully experience them, they'll be at their prime of running away from you. Solomon's saying, don't do it. <laughs> Maybe the illustration could go like this. Let's imagine, let's imagine that I'm a world-renowned lawnmower mechanic. And I come to my press conference, and I'm telling you guys, I have developed this incredible technique that I can change and or sharpen lawnmower ba- blades while the mower is running and the blades are engaged. And I tell you guys, I've been working on this for months, and I've come to the conclusion that you shouldn't do it. It doesn't work. Trust me. Cut the mower off. <laughs> Take the blades off, then sharpen them. Put the blades back on and crank the mower up. <laughs> My experiment didn't work. Solomon is saying, guys, you can do all of this stuff without God and I am showing, I am exposing my nubbed out, bleeding heart, and I'm begging you to get in touch with the living God and invite Him into the monotony. Because if you leave Him out, no matter what you do, it'll be rotten. Activity and work and life were not designed to be frustrating, but in a fallen, cursed world, activity and work and life are frustrating without God. told the crowd at 4 o'clock, around 1 p.m. this afternoon, I knocked out 27 slides, saved it real quick before I could change my mind, and sent it to Shannon. I would really love to get into Genesis 3 and talk about the curse, how work was never meant to be frustrating, but because they separated themselves from God, they needed work to be frustrating, so it would send them back to God. I, I am sick I'm kind of short, so it don't have to be very deep. But I'm sick above my head of hearing people say, God won't give you anything you, can, you can't handle. The Greek word that covers that mentality is hogwash. You want to know the truth, folks? God won't give you anything more than he can handle. He wants you to get frustrated, to the, get to the end of your ability, your capacity, your emotions. And he wants you to turn to him. So all of this mess in life is supposed to be frustrating to drive you to Christ. And without Christ, it's, a, uh, it's going to be frustrating. In Christ, we enjoy creation. Outside of Christ, we tend to worship creation 
or depend on creation. In Christ, we find joy and peace, and we put creation in perspective. Outside of Christ, we make gods out of creation and lose our perspective. You know, I'll never forget, I landed in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana one time, and I had these reservations for this car, and it was one of these $22 a day deals, and and I walk up to this counter, and I don't even remember what company it was. I'll say it was rental, uh, Hertz Rental. I don't really remember. And I say, you know, my name is this. My reservation number is that. I'm supposed to get, you know, uh, a moped, you know, and uh, uh, it was snowing to beat the band. And uh, I was really excited about having this little tiny front-wheel car. The guy looks, says, I'm sorry we don't have your car. And, I, you know, I'm trying to do the Christian thing where, I'm looking right and sounding right, but inside I'm wanting to punch him in the eye. And he says, but we'll give you a different car and we won't charge you anymore. I go, oh, thank you, thank you. Well, I notice he hands me some keys to a Lincoln. I knew as soon as I got the car, I said, this is a Lincoln. And I was a little nervous because it was full of snow and ice and still snowing and icing. And that Lincoln I knew was going to be rear-wheel drive. But it had leather seats and a satellite radio. And that was the first time I'd ever got to, you could find bluegrass in, in the middle of Indiana in the last week of December, bluegrass. So I left that airport and this Lincoln, I'm kicked. It had heated seats. I don't even like heated seats, but since I had it, I turned them on beside me. And I just reached up and go, yeah, it works. You can, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I don't like that feeling on my behind. And I'm just a bip bopping down the road, and, 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 and you know, I, I say, man, I was, when am I going to get to this turn where I head toward the way where I go to my hotel? It's late at night. I, you know, it, flights have been delayed because of snow in Chicago. So I'm tired. And all of a sudden, I see a sign that says, east. I was supposed to be going west. And while at once, that was very disheartening. What is it like to not see the sign? What is it like to continue joyfully in a smooth ride all the way the wrong way the whole time? Some people don't know frustration from outside circumstances. They only know emptiness from inside positions. I'm telling you, if this message seems sad, thank God that he's trying to show you your way to Jesus. That's the conclusion of the writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3. He says, listen, let me go ahead and tell y'all. He's made everything beautiful in his time, but you won't know how to enjoy it without him. He's put eternity in your heart, so you'll, you, won't, you won't get caught up thinking this is it. Eternity's in your heart. But the thing is, you don't have an idea how to enjoy this without him. You don't get this without him. This is Willy Wonka's factory, and it's dangerous without Willy Wonka. You'll fall in the chocolate river and be gone. But with Willy Wonka, there's friendship and candy. How did I do, Rachel? I hate that movie. Did I do okay? Okay, thank you. And you know, it's just true. You just are not going to be able to navigate this life and find lasting joy on your own. Even if you're in a luxury ride, you're headed the wrong way with no one to say, turn around without God. We love to quote Romans chapter 
8, verse 28, in part, all things work together for good, we say. But the truth is, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We might be conformed to the image of his son. The truth is, all things work together for good, but not for everybody. All things work together for good for the called. And what is the definition of good? To be conformed to the image of Jesus. So what is the good? To be like Jesus. Who gets that? All those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. He is working all of the frustration together for good for those who are in Jesus Christ. And for everybody else, none of it's going to come to good. Even the good will come to bad. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, my goodness, get on board. Not only get perspective for life, but get hope beyond life. I want to close very quickly. Oh, my goodness. By telling you possibly a silly illustration, I'll, I'll take the risk. Let's see if anybody will be honest. Who loves summertime? You just love summertime. Michael, Grace, Rachel. Rachel's uncommitted. She, this is how she raised her hand. She's like Queen Elizabeth waving. I saw a couple. Noah, did you have your hand up? Carolyn, did you do that? Okay, you people are the problem with this world. Thank you, Mary. You know, along about February when you're on social media and people start saying, I can't wait for the summer. I'm either going to take their name down. And if we ever have one of those purge things, I am coming to y'all's house. I'm not playing. I'm the guy. See, I see all these people who are sitting in winter going, I can't wait for summer. I'm the guy sitting in summer going, I'm okay if we never have another one as long as I live. I can't wait for winter. I took a picture of my tractor in the snow, and I'll just get out, get it out sometimes, and just ooh and ah, go, mm, look at that, that girl, you look so good dressed in that. Sometimes to me, life feels like perpetual summer, but thank God it's not. There's a season to this thing, and eternity's in your heart. Eternity's in your heart. Eternity's in your heart, and your frustration with the season. And eternity be in your heart is God laying out in front of you a horizon of hope. And he wants you to know that in Christ it won't always be this way. You won't always be in this season. My goodness, y'all, heaven's coming. Heaven's coming. If you've had the privilege, and I do say it's a privilege, to text with Elizabeth anytime in the recent few weeks, she'll tell you she can't wait for heaven. Amen? Can't wait for heaven. I'm with you. So what do I do? What do I do now? What I do now is I understand like Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 tells me that God has a plan to unite all things in Christ. God has a plan. It's, it's a plan he set forth, forth in Christ. And his plan is to bring everything together. You know what I want to do? I want to get as close to Christ and I want to cling to Christ as I possibly can. I want to get as close as I possibly can and cling to Christ as much as I can. Why? Because God's going to bring everything together in him. Amen? You know also what I want to do? I want to live a life that's meaningful for those around me. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want to lead lost people who are thirsty for the, for the hope of eternity to find living water in Christ. And I want to lead believers who are beat down by life, and we all are. I want to preach the same things over and over again to keep reminding my beautiful family in Christ that this 
is a season. And the season of all things being made right is coming. Here's a question I have to ask. Have you put your eternity in Christ's nail-scarred hands? The Bible tells us that to any who, who, who believe on that name and receive him, you'll be adopted into the family. And what he does is he gives us an entirely new life, and he sets hope in us in a way that makes the, mean, the meaningless stuff become meaningful because we're experiencing it with him. He settles our account with God. Through his blood, we have forgiveness of sin. Through his resurrection, we have power over death. And then we can celebrate both our birthday and our rebirth day, and we cannot look with such foreboding fear at our death day. We can say, my king defeats that enemy. Have you put your eternity in Christ's nail-scarred hands? Believer, have you put your moments in God's hands? Do you walk with him? Do you think about the times and the seasons of your life, and do you put it in his hands? Why? Because everything will unite in Jesus, and so you need to learn to cling to Jesus. You have to. I want to give my believing friends a little bit of advice. Three quick pieces of advice in closing. Number one, learn to wait with and walk with God. The only way to experience anything with lasting joy is to wait with and walk with God. Secondly, this is going to sound strange, but think about your death regularly. The Bible says it's appointed unto man to die and to face the judgment. Sometimes we're so afraid to die that we cling to it and knocks us off mission. We cling to, we cling to this version of life rather than God's promises of eternity. Knocks us off mission. What Solomon's trying to get us to see is there's a time to be born and celebrate birth, and there's a time to die and, and to think about that without fear and to live in between with real purpose. Think about your death. Do it on purpose, not morbidly with hope. Thirdly, make the best use of your time. That's what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 would tell us. Make the best use of your time. What are you doing today? What are you doing today? to make the best use of your time? Are you kingdom-oriented? If you want to measure that, it sounds simple, but if you want to measure it, look, look, at, look at how you spend your time and on what. Look at how you use your treasure and what you actually treasure. And look at what you do with your talent. You know, the Bible tells us right here that God has given us fellowship and meals and beverages to enjoy when we try to enjoy those without God, they become bitter. When we invite them to the table, they become a blessing. Father, we thank you for a chance to look into your word. We humbly ask you to make your word look into us. We know that the enemy would like to point out our failings and condemn us, but you point out our failings that you might cause the frustration to lead us to you. Father, I pray, I pray that you lead East Rock Community Church to walk humbly with our God. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.